Welcome to the Intrepid Now Network. Coming to you from lovely Canton, Georgia, I am your host, Bill Ramsey, and I am tremendously excited about our conversation today. Uh, Our author today happens to be one of my favorites. His previous book, Start, I've given away several times, and I'm excited to talk about his newest work. So, Without further ado, you may know today's guest if you happen to be one of his 243,000 followers on Twitter or maybe one of his 43,000 followers on Instagram. Possibly you've read his New York Times bestseller. The book is called Start, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape Average, and Do Work That Matters. Aside from being one of my favorite books in my own library, Inc. Magazine named it the most inspirational book of 2013. Possibly you've read his book, Quitter, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, or maybe you've enjoyed his satire blog, Stuff Christians Like. He has helped a few little obscure brands such as Home Depot, Staples, Bose, and the Dave Ramsey team tell their stories. In 2009, he rallied the fans of his blog to raise $60,000, which promptly built two kindergartens in the mountains of Vietnam. Husband of Jenny, dad of two girls, lover of queso, it is my great pleasure, audience, to introduce you to Mr. John Acuff. John, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for such an awesome intro, Bill. Well, yeah, that was pretty amazing, if you don't mind me saying. So don't mess it up from here, please, all right? I'll, t- I'll try to hold it together. Thank you. Well, John, we're here to talk about your new book. The book is called Do Over, Rescue Monday, Reinvent Your Work, and Never Get Stuck. Give us a general overview of the book. Sure. The book is about how you build what I call a career savings account. Basically, we spend 18 years getting ready for college, and then we graduate, and the next thing we get ready for is death and retirement. We've got this 40-year gap where we don't really invest in our careers, and we've kind of culturally bought into the idea that a job is just a job is just a job. I mean, it's why we eat at TGI Fridays and not TGI Mondays. And so the book is, what do you need to have the type of career you want? What are the things you need to go on an adventure, to chase a dream? To, you know, you get to choose the language you want to describe it. And what I believe you need are what I call the career savings account, which is relationships plus character plus skills times hustle. And you need all four of those because if you only have three, the whole thing falls apart. Say you have amazing relationships, amazing skills, amazing hustle, but no character, you become Tiger Woods and it falls apart. Say you have amazing relationships, amazing character, amazing skills, but no hustle, you become every NFL draft bust that was talented enough to get by in high school and talented enough to get by in college, but when they got to the NFL and everybody had that same talent level and they didn't work hard, it all fell apart. So the book is about how do you build those four things and how do you use them to navigate the four transitions every career goes through. So you've given us a great overview of what you're covering here, and you may have just answered this for us, John, but let me ask you this. Why does the world need another book about careers? What led you to think, I need to write this? I I think that's a great question. I think the first thing I'd say is, according to Gallup, 70% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs. So honestly, Bill, if 100% of people loved what they did, there really wouldn't be a need for a book about how to enjoy your job. Everybody would be enjoying it. But when seven of ten people in whatever office you're sitting in right now don't enjoy what they're doing, there's a chance that we need to continue to have this conversation. And so that's that's what, you know, for me as far as why does the world need another book like this, the second thing is why did I write it? I went through my own do-over. I've been in the workforce for 16 years. It's funny to look up and realize you're not the cool young guy anymore, but that just, you know, welcome to life. And I had a huge career transition And I wrote it because I needed this book. And then I said, I wonder if other people need it too. And I traveled around the country doing meetups in Austin and Seattle and Houston and San Diego and Minneapolis. 
and talking about these ideas with people. And I talked to college students and stay-at-home moms and doctors. And we all were able to say, okay, this is the do-over I'm in, and this is what I need to get through it. So when you talk about a do-over in the career, is that, that uh, I can't help but think that sounds like a tragedy or something cataclysmic has happened. Is that always the case? No, not at all. There's, there's four types of do-over moments. There's a ceiling moment where you get stuck. Um, that could be that you came to the end of a career ladder and there was nowhere else for you to go. It can be industries get stuck. The New York Times wrote a great article and asked, why didn't Kodak create Instagram? Why didn't Polaroid create Instagram? Of all the companies that should have seen our love of photography, why didn't they do that? Because companies get stuck. They go from innovation mode to protection mode, and they don't grow. And you see organizations, churches get stuck there. The second type is a bump. That is the negative one where you lose your job, you get laid off. Maybe it's something less dramatic. The manager who recruited you goes to another company a month after you join that one and you're vulnerable all of a sudden. On the positive side of things, there's what I call a jump, where you make a voluntary positive decision. You move to a new city, you start a new job, you read a book, you read a blog, and the last one is what I call an opportunity, where something unexpected that's positive happens to you. You get a promotion you didn't see coming. Um, you know, Your boss falls in love and moves to Hawaii, and their job opens up. Something you weren't expecting happens. So there's four types of main do-overs, but certainly there's a lot of positive ones. John, let's back up a second. You've referenced the career savings account, and uh, this is what I see in Chapter 1. You say this. You say, quote, Careers are built or broken on how we invest in them. That's why this book will help you do two things. Number one, build a career savings account worth billions. Number two, spend it on the career do-over you've always wanted, end quote. Give us a little bit more details about this career savings account. What is that? Yeah, it's really those four areas of your life. So, for instance, relationships. A lot of us aren't deliberate or intentional with our relationships. And so I I did a a study. We have this tool at careersavingsaccount.com where it's 12 quick questions, and it helps you analyze, okay, what's my career really look like right now? And one of the questions was about advocates, which is part of the relationships I talk about. Some people would say mentors. I say advocates. And 63% of the people that filled out the survey – We had 3,300 people, good sample size, didn't have a mentor, didn't have an advocate, didn't have someone 10 years ahead of them who could help them avoid some potholes. So when I say a career savings account and you look specifically at something like the investment relationship, you go, okay, for me to have really strong relationships that can help me jump to a new job if I want to, can help me get a promotion at the current job I'm at, can save me if I lose my job. One of those is an advocate. One of those is a mentor. How do I build that? So that's what the career savings account is about, is deliberately building those four facets of your life so that whether you want to do a jump or you get hit by a bump, you're ready and you can navigate it. So when people are faced with a do-over, I'm assuming it's similar to the concept of a financial savings account. Often when it comes time where they need to draw out of that account, they realize, well, crap, I don't have anything in it. I haven't. Yeah, I wish I had been building it earlier. Right, right, right. So... Obviously, you're telling people, start yesterday on investing in this career savings account. I'm telling them, start yesterday, and I'm also saying you have more in it than you might know. There's a great exercise about skills in the skills section of the book. 
that essentially says you don't know what skills you have until you spend some time thinking about them. Same with relationships. Nobody knows who they really know because they don't spend time thinking about it. So I think a lot of times what I like to do is help people see the skills they really possess, see what they're really capable of, and see how I just talked to a, a flight attendant, for instance, and she spent 20 years as a flight attendant and then was able to see, okay, wow, my ability to interact with people and a lot of different people applies to a sales job. And it applies to these other jobs. And so helping people surface that nobody has a bankrupt career savings account. Nobody's starting from zero. You all have something. So how do you figure out what's in there and then how do you amplify it? So you've you've delved into relationship and skills. The last two I'm especially interested to hear you talk about, character and hustle. The listener right now is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what character is. Hustle, yeah, 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 I know what hustle is. Especially with hustle, you have a few surprises on that one. But before we get into that one, speak to us a little bit more about the character investment into the career savings account. Yeah, I think um, I often say relationships get you the first gig. You know, people take a shot on you that because of a relationship. But skills get you the second. If you are a horrible barber, people won't come back a second time just because they're your friend. Did you just pull up the barber illustration with me, John? That is hurtful. This is for listeners. It isn't all about you, Bill. Yes, You're not the only it, listener it of this is, show. Well, actually, yeah. surprise, it is just about me. <laughs> I didn't want to say it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so go so ahead. The, the third, you know, if, if relationships get you the first gig and skills get you the second, then hustle gets you everyone after that. And character makes sure that if you fail – or if you succeed, you won't get drunk on ego or, or lost in the failure. And so you need, you need character because what happens is when you jump, because that's when you need it the most, when you jump to something new, your relationships won't be in place yet, your skills won't be in place yet in a new job, you're going to have to learn them. But when you jump, you jump with who you are. You jump with your character. So character is the foundation. And it's often something we don't talk a lot about when it comes to career and chasing dreams, but it's critical because character is a slow build and a quick empty one thing can empty the account, and you have to slowly build it. So that's why I put so much focus on it. So let's talk about hustle. This is one of our favorite American words. So when somebody listening right now says, well, okay, I need hustle, um, which in your book you reference how relationship plus skills plus character times Hustle. Hustle is the multiplier. So the listener's thinking, yeah, hustle. We all know that when we need to work harder, we need to do more, we need to be more. Is that what you're saying? No, not, not at all. I think that... Our culture, the word hustle has a bad reputation right now because it sounds like an Axe body spray flavor. Like every most obnoxious person on the internet takes some phrase that, you know, some quote Abraham Lincoln didn't say and puts it on top of a picture of a Ferrari and says, every day I'm hustling. And so, no, for me, hustle isn't about becoming a workaholic. It isn't about frenzy. Hustle is an act of focus. And so it's really a scalpel. It's helping you go, okay, I need to eliminate these things and focus on the other, these other ones. There's going to, you know, hustle has seasons. In a culture that praises busyness, rest is an act of bravery. Rest is part of hustle. So to me, hustle is about stepping into that tension of going, here's things I say yes to, here's things I say no to. And for me to move them along, I do have to lean into them, but I also have to be able to rest. And I also have to be flexible with my definition of success. And I also have to make sure I'm having fun for this. So I want to repeat that because I think that's pretty groundbreaking what you just said there. Uh, the couple things about hustle is that one of the key elements of hustle is to stop doing things. Is that what you said? 100%. I mean, I, you'll become a workaholic at something you love faster than at something you hate. Because when you do something you hate, you want to do less of it. When you're in a job you hate, you want to do less of it. When you chase a dream, it's fun and you love it. And so for me, I have to be very 
consistent and very, you know, in relationship. That's why these, you need all four of these. They temper each other. I need relationships that can speak the truth into my life. I mean, I remember last fall, I called my wife and said, hey, there's a great speaking gig we should do. Like, it's, it'll cover us in May financially. It'll cover us. Because when you're on your own, you have that conversation a lot. And she said, we're fine financially. We're fine. And I said, well, now we'll be finer. And, you know, <laughs> husband of the year award. And Hustling all would, the time. Yeah, exactly. Never stop. Run myself into the ground. Ruin my life. And <laughs> I said, and she said, okay, that's, that's okay. Just make sure you earn enough money to buy a new family because this one won't still be around. Ouch. And I said, noted. And she wasn't, it wasn't an angry conversation. It was just an honest conversation. And, and that was my wife saying, hey, you've got to say no to some stuff too. You've got to, you know, we've got to be really careful about how we're doing this. And hustle isn't just, you put the gas pedal down a thousand miles an hour until you crash the car and ruin your life. Hmm. So one of the other countercultural things you said about hustle a moment ago that uh, should cause storming of the castle was that hustle comes in seasons. Explain. Speaking of, from a family perspective, I meet a lot of people that will say, John, I'm just not hustling on my dream hard enough. And I'll say, well, tell me about your family. And they'll say, well, we've got two twin four-month-olds and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And I'll say, you're not hustling on a dream hard enough. What are you talking about? You're raising humans. Like, that might be enough dream right now. Like, that might be the season you're in. I talked to a guy who said, John, I'm doing what you said. You know, I, we had a baby three weeks ago, but I still get up at 5 a.m. to hustle. And I was like, that, no, that's not smart. <laughs> like, I didn't say have a baby and then an hour later still get up at 5 a.m. That, that kid's already getting up a bunch. So there's seasons where your hustle changes. Now, on the flip side of that, I think about my friend who's 24 and he's, a, he's got a startup and he's working 70, 80 hours a week. And he said, John, it kills me when people come up to me and go, you're working too hard, you're hustling too much. And he said, nobody tells you that when you're in med school. Nobody comes up to doctors and goes, oh, I feel like you're taking this whole doctor thing way too seriously. You need to <laughs> just be in med school. And the challenge there, though, Bill, is that med school has an end. You graduate. You eventually get to be a doctor. You eventually get to play golf and go sailboats, whatever it is doctors do. So there are seasons, and not every season is created the same. And so I think that's part of the, the reality. Um, and it's, not a po it's maybe not a popular thing to say, but I believe it's a true thing to say. And, and I'm, not, I'm not interested in you doing really well for three months or six months. Like, I want this to be a long-term, I've got a career savings account. I'm walking through all the do-overs that life throws at me, and we're talking about a 40-year investment. Last question about hustle. The book references relationship plus skills plus character times hustle. Why the multiplication factor of hustle? Because it applies to all of them. I think, you know, it applies to relationships. Your willingness to hustle and be detailed. Hustle in a relationship can be you putting your phone down and being present to somebody. It applies to skills. You signing up for classes. You, you know, being deliberate to say no to some things. I think that hustle applies to all of them. That's why I did the multiplication is that I think all of those are important. And then hustle is the fuel, if you will. If you used a, a car metaphor... Hustle is the gas. The rest of them are amazing and create this amazing car, but if you don't have fuel in it, it just becomes this really beautiful, big paperweight. Yeah, I love in um, Investment 3 character, you mentioned in the years to come, being present at work is going to be game-changing. No one's present anymore, but you and I should be. It's remarkable how profound it is just to be present with the people who are there. It's, it's rare. It, every day it gets a little rarer. And I, I just the joke I always talk about is, there's times when we'll go to dinner parties and I'll leave my phone in the car because I know I'll just be staring at it if I go inside with it. And I act like I've done them a great service. Like, oh, I'm such a giver. I left my phone in the car. And like, 
Really? Like, get off your high horse. Like, actually talk to you. I drove to your house. Why am I not talking to your face? You know, it doesn't make any sense. John, we're running a little shy on time, so I want to transition this conversation to a specific group of listeners. To many of us in this elite over the 40 years old club, which is awesome, by the way, the idea of a do-over is cataclysmic. It's enormous. It's earth-shaking. It's a black swan. It's typically seen as not such a great thing. But looking at the trends for millennials... The idea of a career do-over is just a way of life for these people. It's normal. I mean, we're seeing the demographics that they fully expect to change jobs on a very regular basis and really don't have expectations to stay in the same field. These people wouldn't imagine staying in the same thing, so do-over, it seems to me, will be a way of life for them. So, speak specifically now to somebody who is in college or has just recently graduated college. What tangible advice do you have for them? First of all, I totally agree with you. I think this is a big shift in career. Um, We're also seeing there's been studies that 13 to 17-year-olds, generation age right now, four to five of them believe that they'll do their passion as their full-time profession, which is a huge change culturally. Um, We're seeing them start YouTube channels and run businesses, and it's really amazing to see how they're approaching work. They actually have more in common with a post-war grandparent generation than they do any other generation. The study is fascinating on how culture is changing and what jobs are changing. To a millennial, though, I'd say, okay, if you're in college... If you're about to graduate college, the first thing I'd say is don't listen to any 40-year-olds that ask you over and over again, what's your plan? People in their 40s love to pretend they had a plan when they were 21. We put this crazy pressure on college students to go, what's your plan? What's next? What's next? As if we knew at 21, as if when I was 21, I had any idea. And so one, don't listen to that kind of pressure. Number two, don't expect to get your dream job right out of college. Your Your first job's job is to teach you how to have a job and teach you how to work. You just traded three months of vacation for eight days a year. There's a sharp curve to learn. (laughs) And so I'd say, lean into that. Don't expect a dream job. Don't expect a perfect job. That's not failure. Don't feel like a failure when you get there. I love the idea that you can build this savings account and it's something you take with you to every job you go to. Whether you're a millennial and you change jobs every 2.4 years, or whether you're a boomer and you change every 12 years, you still get to take it with you. You'll never have a job that goes... We really wish you were less connected in the community. We wish you had less relationships. We wish you had less skills or less hustle. No, the things you're going to build as a millennial for the next job matter. And the next job after that matters. So what I'd say to a 21-year-old or 22-year-old is now's a great time to start investing in those and being deliberate. If I could go back and talk to the 23-year-old John Acuff, one, I'd say don't be a jerk because I was a huge jerk. But two, I'd say find somebody 10 years ahead of you to learn from because they have the cheat codes and they can say, hey, at 22, you think these 15 things are important? They're not. I'm 10 years down the road. These are the four that are really important. And I think you should lean into them. So along those lines, I'm going to hit you with a question I've not primed you for. One of the best pieces of advice you have ever been given. Best piece of advice I've ooh, that's a one of them. You don't have to name the favorite child. Just one of the best okay, pieces of advice. One of them. Best pieces of advice I've I've ever been given. Can is it in a real relationship or can it come from a book? Either. Okay, one of my favorite things there's a couple. One was in Seth Godin's The Dip. And it was this idea of when you, you know, anytime you try something new, it's exciting, it's fun. And then you go through this moment where it gets really hard and that's where most people quit. And your ability to kind of push through that really changes how far you can go ahead and how, how hard it is for the next person behind you. So when I did my blog, my first blog, I blogged, 
I think four times a day for the first couple months and just really leaned into it and pushed past that. And that really carried me. The second thing I'd say, one of my favorite things was The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. That one of the things he said about, you know, that fear is actually a barometer for the things you're supposed to do, not an indication of the things you're not supposed to do. And his idea was basically, and I'm going to misquote it, that fear helps you see where you're supposed to go because we're afraid of the things that really matter. And sometimes we think things that really matter should be peaceful and easy. And and that kind of mindset really challenged me about when I started to write and being afraid of it and feeling stuck and going, I'm not a failure for feeling this, you know, like I need to push through it. So both of those are really big. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Well, my friend, we're out of time. So real quickly, what's next for you? The book is just released. Uh, The book is again called Do Over, Rescue Monday, Reinvent Your Work and Never Get Stuck. Well, what's next for you? next for me is really going to be traveling around the country, um, helping people connect with the book. We've had a, a good response so far where we've had college students come up after, after I speak and go, this book is right where I'm at. Parents Magazine named it their mom must read of the month, said here's how it applies to moms. And so I think the next, the next thing for me is to really explore how do I help people with this. My wife, and I've never written about this yet, I think I'm going to at some point, always challenges me to ask the question, how can I help people, not what can I sell people? And those are very different questions. And one can lead to the other. If you ask, how can I help people? You can create things you sell people. But we live in a culture right now that asks the second question almost exclusively and creates things that people don't really need. So the question I'm going to be asking the next year is, how can I help people? And then out of that, maybe I'll find additional things that I go, wow, this is something that will really help somebody. And then the next thing for me is to write the next book. I'm working on a, a new book. As an author, that's what you do. You finish a book and you start a new one. And so I'm, I'm a long way from that process, but I'm starting to gather ideas. Well, I will spare you from asking what some of those ideas might be, unless you just wanted to volunteer it, because I'm just suggesting from what I've read of your books, I want to see Jenny's book. She sounds like the genius uh, behind this operation. Wait, I, you are not kidding. You are, people sometimes ask me if I made her up. Like, is she a creative <laughs> construct? And one, I'm not that creative. Like, I, I'm just not that smart. But two, no, these are, you know, when I tweet something she said, she said it to me at the dinner table. And so, no, uh, I, I think her, like her book, we're still trying to work through that because the book changed dramatically in the last 18 months of us, you know, me working at home, her being involved more and, and how we're working together and pushing in the same direction. But I agree with you. I think, I think her book, when it comes out, is going to crush anything I've written. Well, we're sure looking forward to it. I appreciate it. Give her our best, our high five, and our Godspeed that uh, we can't wait to see what she she brings for us. So I certainly will. All right, sir, we are out of time, but we've referenced this book. How do people get their hands on it? How do people find out what you're doing and uh, keep in touch with you? Great. Uh, you can get the book anywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. Um, it's at bookstores. And then if you want to read the first chapter, because the majority of humans on the planet have never heard of me, and I'd want to read the first chapter. So if you go to doover.me, you can read a copy, a free copy of the first chapter and get a sense of what the book's about. Um, or if you want to connect with me, I'm acuff.me is my blog. And, and on Twitter, I'm just John Acuff, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F, on Twitter. John Acuff, author of Do Over. Thank you, sir, for being here. Thanks for having me, Bill. This has been another episode of the Intrepid Now Network. Thanks for joining in. If you'd like to keep in touch with more fascinating conversations, please click at the link at the bottom where you can sign up for our email list. All of our emails are hormone-free and grass-fed, so they will be good for you and your family. This has been Bill Ramsey. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Intrepid Now. Intrepid Now.